0: First of all, let me say what a privilege it is to be seated up here in, with you guys' as choir. I felt so lifted. Um, second of all, in Africa, there's something called the trifold hallelujah, which is where the worship leader will say hallelujah, and the people will respond with a robust amen three times. So... After I read the text today, we will do that as a response to God's word. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in your word because truly it is the rejoicing of our heart. We just read that our joy is in the fact that our names are written in heaven. So Lord, although I do, I long for the power, the glory, the provision, the casting down of Satan, the witness that this text speaks to. Even more than that, our hearts long towards the assurance of faith, the knowledge of Christ that we find in mission with you. So I pray towards that end, that you would grant your Holy Spirit towards the speaker in our ears. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very important missions text. Very important. And in a a very real sense, that's what I've come to say. This is an important text, and oftentimes we don't see it for what it really is. You know, if I could say one thing to us, we're in springtime, it's beautiful, the sun's out, things are growing. And yet, all of this pales in comparison to what this world is going to be like when the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we are being sent out, we are being commissioned and sent and giving our marching orders as agents of the coming spring. Because spring is coming to this world. Jesus is going to return, literally, physically. And this world is going to be transformed. And all the darkness and the weariness, all the sin that we struggle with, all the misery and the disease, the effects of the, of the fall are going to be taken away, taken away in the twinkling of an eye. So there's got to be something about the way we are sent as witnesses and emissaries of that great day that bespeaks of that day and provides a little bit of a glimpse for those that we minister to of that day. We're agents of spring. So this text, that's what it's really about. You notice how it ends with the assurance of salvation. Salvation. In between, we see the fall of Satan. We see the commission of the church. We see miracles of mission. And in the middle of all that, we see that we're sent out two by two. Why might that be? Why would we be sent two by two? In the Old Testament, there were solitary prophets who stood proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ oftentimes by themselves. You think about Jeremiah thrown into a well or... Isaiah, whose very mission it was to be rejected by a people who had not ears to hear and eyes to see. Yet in the New Testament, we're sent out two by two. Even in the going to accomplish the mission, we are to be pictures of, we are to be agents of spring. There is to be a demonstration of the very fellowship that will one day cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There is to be a participation in the mission in the springtime that is going to one day cover this earth. There's a participation that is here that is in mission that is essential that without it we're violating the very purpose that we're being sent for. So this text functions as a a bit of a prophetic paradigm For missions. As I just said, it's it's one very different from anything that came prior to it, though it's similar in some ways to the, the prophetic mission in the in the in the Old Testament. It's different as well. And so the principles that are going to be taught to us by Jesus in this text are here meant by him to define the very mission of the church throughout the age of the church. It's not just about these original 72 people. There's a paradigm. It's laid out here for the vision of missions that goes beyond the 12 disciples. In fact, it extends their apostolic mission to 70 or 72 others. So in the history of the church, the gospel would not primarily be spread through apostles, but through the entire church as we share in that apostolic mission. So I want to pull out seven principles from our text. But I want to tell you this church has a calling. God has a vision for this particular congregation. And he wants to give you your marching orders today. So I'll begin with the overall biblical context. As we talk about what exactly it would mean, what are the rules of mission we are to engage in? What is the importance of this text? Well, notice some things. How does it start? After this, the Lord appointed 72 what? Others. So if it says others, it's pointing back. It means there were, some, there were some others before these new others that we start with, and that's found at the beginning of the prior chapter, chapter 9, when Jesus says a lot of these same things to the 12 apostles. And there's parallels. Authority over demons, healings, preaching, miraculous provision. So what becomes clear is that this original apostolic mission to the 12 first century apostles is being extended not through the making of more apostles, new groups of 12 to be sent out. Jesus could well have decided to change the world through sending out more groups of 12 apostles. He didn't do that. He decides to take these 70 or 72 others. I'll get to that number in just a moment and build them on top of that original, you know, foundation. So notice the symbolism of the numbers. First, 12, apostles, 12 is symbolic. Obviously the 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and so the apostles in the New Testament have the same relationship to the church that the patriarchs, the sons of Jacob, did to Israel in the Old Testament. These are foundational figures. As Christ is building a new Israel on top of the apostolic foundation in our midst. So that's the number 12. That's why Jesus chose 12. It's a symbol that makes that clear. So if 12 is symbolic, what about the 72 others? They have a number as well. So let's talk about the symbolism of 70 or 72. If you were, there's a chapter in the Old Testament, Genesis 10. You're familiar with Genesis 11, where God scatters the nations at the Tower of Babel. We all get new languages. But the prior chapter, there's a listing of nations. And if you count those nations, depending on how you count them, you'll end up with either 70 or 72 nations, Gentile nations, all the nations in the world. And that's why in the manuscript tradition of Luke 10, some of the manuscripts say 70 and some say 72. Apparently... The early church saw this as a reference to Genesis 10, which I do as as well. So the number 7, the year 72, was well known to represent the fullness of nations that God put in the world that were scattered at the Tower of Babel. But also, in Exodus 1 verse 5, it says all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So also, that number 70 came to represent the sum total of God's people. So you might say, we are the 70, the sum total of God's people, being sent in Luke 10 to regather the 70 scattered nations, which fits in with the theology of Luke-Acts. You may know that Luke and Acts are written as one continuous story by the same author. And so the same theological themes that begin in Luke end up in Acts. And so, what is Luke saying? Well, in Acts 2, what happens? There's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. How do we know? Because these nations that were scattered are now gathered. Not through speaking the same language, but by speaking the same gospel. There's an understanding that we have in Christ, in the Spirit. So, the nations that were scattered in Genesis 11 are gathered, where? Acts 2, Luke-Acts. And so, Luke 10 sits here in the middle of that. That's the story of the 70 nations, but the 70 people, all the people of God, built on the apostolic foundation, sent to go gather them. That's what's happening in Luke 10. Now, if I've lost you so far, come back. We are God's 70, the fullness of his people, everyone in this room. That's the, symbol of, that's the symbolism of the number 70 or 72. But also, if we are the 70, all of God's people, we are sent to reclaim the 70 nations scattered. That's saying it in a simple way. That makes sense of Luke's overall message. Now let's pull out seven principles for mission from Luke 10. This very important paradigmatic missions text. It stands over the entire age of the church until Jesus comes back. So, um... There's a structure here. The first 12 verses are the, are the commission. And that's the portion where Jesus is calling these 70 or 72 to himself and telling them what they are about to go do. He's commissioning them. And there's the time frame given in verses 13 through 16. This is where Jesus begins to speak like it's the end of the world. He begins That's that woe portion of the text. He's speaking judgmentally. Even end times is the time frame. And, of course, these... These 72 come back in verses 17 through 20 and give a report. So that's the three sections. Commission, time frame, report. So I'm going to pull out five principles from the commission section. Number one, they are sent. Now, that parallels with chapter 9 where the apostles were sent. Apostelo is Greek for sent and the same word is here. They're sharing in these 70, representing us. Sharing in the original apostolic sentness, not by being apostles, but by being participators in the same mission. That's Jesus' vision for his church. We are sent just like them, we share the same mission. It's not like the 12 had one mission and we have a different one. We have the same mission. As the apostles. We're not apostles. That's a first century thing. But the text here is very clear. We share in the same mission. Number two, these apostles, now these 70 are sent to a place. Where's that place? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them where? On ahead of him. On ahead of him. That's the place. Wherever it is he is going. Now it's important to recognize in the first century this is not a metaphor. They are going literally to the towns and villages. He is going to put his literal human feet. It's important to see that even as we extend beyond the the first century through the symbolism of the seventy, representatively us, throughout the age of the church, it's not a metaphor for us either. Does Jesus have a body? Where is it? It's been glorified. It's with the Father. But is he returning? Is he physically returning on that day? Yes, he is. Therefore, when I go to Rwanda and I go to some village or we go to Pakistan, maybe we go to some village, is Jesus literally going to be there? You better believe he is. He might not come back until tomorrow. He might not come back until next week. He might not come back for a thousand years. But when he does, he's coming back physically, literally. And we are precursors of his presence. Not a metaphor. It was not a metaphor for them, and it's not a metaphor for us. The places we go, he will himself come. They were precursors of presence. Sent ahead of him. And to me, there's no more profound way to conceive of missions than that, than that. We're like John the Baptist, sent ahead of him. Now, again, if this is the 70 and that's representatively us, that means it's true of all of God's people, which means it's true of you. So don't put me in some special category, you know, Martha, Margaret in some special category. It's all of God's people, it's a sentness. It's fundamental to being a Christian. We are participants, whether we like it or not, in the apostolic mission sent ahead of him. But there's another way that we're precursors of presence as well. That's in the sense that we plant churches. We minister the word. The natural result of ministering the word is people come to Christ. and They're formed together in churches. And where two or more are gathered, what? I am there in the midst of them. So precursors of presence in that way as well. Now third, it says they are sent two by two. Now I've mentioned this at the outset and I've already connected it to the, where the sermon is going to end. But we're sent two by two. We're a little different from the prophets in, the, in this sense. We are in the way that we go to be a demonstration of the spring that is coming. What is the spring that is coming? What is the glory that's going to fill the cosmos when Jesus Christ returns? Essentially, it's fellowship with God. Amen? It's union with Christ by His Holy Spirit. And so, in the way we conduct ourselves in mission, we go two by two. Why? Because we're precursors of a spring. What is the spring? A union with the person of Jesus Christ. So that there's a two by two ness that is in, that is essential to missions. Without which, if we violate that, we've missed the whole purpose of of what we are pointing to. When the union with Jesus Christ fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. The joy and assurance of what it is to be in Christ. That's why, by the way, missionaries have to come back. Because one of the 2 by 2 factors of missions is that we are sent out by particular congregations. So there's a connectedness that we've got to work to maintain. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So... <clears throat> And fourthly, they are to pray to who? The Lord of the harvest, number one. That he might send out labors into where? His harvest. So he's in essence telling these original 71st century evangelists, knowing they're a symbol for everybody through the church age until the return of Jesus Christ, he's telling his original 70 to pray for all those they symbolically represent, which is every Christian, so it's you and me. They're to pray for us to the Lord of the harvest. So this is another place, just like we're precursors of presence, not just in some metaphorical way. That's just an idea. Maybe he'll come, there'll be something that follows. But literally, he's going to return. Also, don't overly spiritualize this. He's the Lord of the harvest. What, is, what does it mean to be the Lord of a harvest? It means to be a farmer who owns the fields that we're working in. The fields of mission is owned by the Lord. He is utterly in charge of the fields of mission. That he might send out laborers into his harvest. What this is, is, the, is that in this sending, in the mission of the church, there's no note that it might not happen. This future age of fellowship and union might not happen because it's not placed in our hands it's placed in his hands he is in charge not only of the commission but of the results it's glorious news we don't have to wonder but we are called to pray that he would send out others i'm happy to be a fulfillment of their prayer but remember you're a fulfillment of their prayer as well because you're part of the 70. every christian sometimes will say Christians, some Christians are called to go. Some Christians are called to send. And some Christians are called to give. Well, actually, all Christians are called to all three. It's not if you're called to go. It's who you're called to go to. It's not if you're called to go. It's who you're called to go to. Same thing with prayer. Same thing with giving. And then fifthly, what I call the miracle of mission. God extends his promise to them. There are three areas in which things are going to happen that go beyond their ability. Provision, preaching, and power. There's an experience of power only available in the going. Sometimes churches will sort of wait to go, hoping on something to happen, and then we will go. And, but Jesus is saying, you go, And in obedience, in the going, you'll find my power. You'll find what you're looking for. Next, there's a time frame given, verses 12 through 16. And this is the woe section. It's what I call the end times section or the mobile courtroom. Notice what happens in verse 10. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Well, that wiping off, it sounds like a judicial act. Like an act that really belongs on judgment day that's been brought forward into this age. That somehow when we are sent out in this 2 by 2 nest, those we encounter, whether they're ready for it or not, whether they know it or not, there's something that's happening, that's ratified by heaven, and that something is judgmental. There is an already of the judgment of God that's occurring in mission. People are being ushered before God's judgment seat, ready or not. We've said we're precursors of presence, and so we are. That's a good thing. Planting of churches, Jesus coming to bless, Jesus coming to bring springtime. Amen. But for those who rejected Jesus, for those who reject our witness, by the way, even the word witness is a legal term. For those who reject that witness that Jesus gave us, that the Father gave him, to reject us is to reject him, and to reject Jesus is to reject the Father, to reject God. Missions is serious for us and for those we speak to. We must speak as those who speak the utterances of God. Lastly, there's a report when they, when they come back. I think it's worth reading that. The 72 returned in mean, verse 17 with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I want to look at that. You know, sometimes theologians will get into a big discussion about when did Satan fall? Is this a reference to before creation? Or is this a reference to the first century? Or is this a reference to the end of all things? But Jesus says, here I saw when you, first century, 70, go out, I saw Satan fall. But it's a symbolic text. Seventy, as we've seen, is referential to the Seventy being sent to regather the Seventy scattered nations. It's a reference to the church until the return of Jesus Christ. So in this pulling down of Satan in the first century, there is a prophecy that in the mission of the church until the return of Christ, Satan will be dethroned and even stepped on, stomped on. Cast down, snatched down from where he is and cast down and judged. And that's what we've seen. What else explains the history of the church of Jesus Christ? As it has spread, overcoming persecutions, overcoming being warred against, conquering people after people, nation after nation, bringing under its sway even the worst Enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Satan truly has been cast down in the mission of the church. So they come back and they're amazed. They're astounded at this victory over demons that they've seen. Verse 19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's where I got the treading on the head of the snake thing. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. But then what does he say? Nevertheless, in spite of the greatness of what's going to happen in church history, the greatness of how the enemy will be cast down, the greatness of the miracle of mission that we participate in, in the mission of the, of the church. Seeing all and wonder at all these things that will happen. Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you. but Rejoice that your names... Are written in heaven. Now that's glorious. Sometimes things are glorious because he says things you just wouldn't expect him to say in certain contexts. It's like, Jesus, we're in a mission conference here. We're really excited. We're ready to really pledge ourselves to you in some sort of glorious way. We might all come up front. We might make a promise. We might say some things uh, after the speaker. It's going to be dramatic and suddenly you stop all of that and you say this weird thing about assurance Jesus it's it's not about me don't make it about me it's about you and your glory what this true springtime is is union with Jesus Christ it's knowing who we are in him it's the assurance of salvation that we get not in the room planning mission but on the way doing mission there's an assurance of our own salvation. There's a finalizing of our own faith that we find in the fields of mission. Amen. So that's what I, I, I want to call you to. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Let's go out in those fields together. Let's go. What's holding us back? What, who has God sent you to? Let's go. Let's go together. Who knows how the enemy will be cast down in our midst? Who knows what miracles of mission we will see? Who knows all in the wonder and the splendor how God wants to bring the enemy down right before our very face? But then what I really want is to be there with you in the field when he pulls us to the side and he says, I know. But what I'm really doing, I want to give you a greater union with myself so that you're assured So the very relationship I share with my Father becomes my gift to you. And you're inside that circle with me, seeing your names written in heaven. That's what's waiting on us. Let's pray.